If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11. And as you're making your way there, just a few reminders, that things that we've already talked about, things that we know. We know that the Apostle Paul is writing this from Corinth. Um, which at that time is probably the most wicked, most sexually perverse area of the world, including Rome. We know that the Roman Christians that Paul is writing to, that they actually entered Rome after, and they were part of Rome before the day of Pentecost. But we've seen in that text of Pentecost that they actually, when they were born again, filled with the Spirit, that they went back and they started this home church movement in Rome. And this is who Paul is writing to. And last week we seen and we looked at those that might be religious. That's where we ended off on in verse 5 where there's those that uh, Paul knows and mostly he's talking as he's writing this to the Jews that they've heard about Christianity but they're still holding on to the law and to tradition and ritual. And he's letting them know that there's nothing that will save you but Jesus Christ. And he also told them last week, even though that you're very moral, don't be judging yourselves against one another because morality, as we discussed last week, will not get you into heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And we're going to continue that idea, and Paul's going to continue that thread through verse 11 today. So I'm going to read 6 through 11, and then we're going to work through those verses. It says this in verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Now these verses here, there's a couple of verses that you might right away as I was reading it stick out in your mind. And one thing that I want to make clear, and I think we're going to clarify it today, is this. And you've heard it if you've been a Christian for any length of time, that again, that our salvation is not through works. But we know that faith produces works. It's a, it's a product of our faith. And so to be born again, to be saved, to be a new creation in Christ, and not be involved in good works, it should cause us to red flags to pop up, and we should be able to say, what, what's going on here if I'm not involved about doing the works of Jesus Christ? But so often when people see this portion of Scripture, what they'll say is this, oh, you're, you're a person based on works. And that is the furthest from the truth of what Paul's trying to convey here, and it's the furthest from the truth of what we believe here at Momentum Christian Church. Because we know that it's only through faith and grace alone, through the sacrifice that Jesus uh, he obediently walked out on the cross. And so, let's look at this first verse. It says, He will render to each one according to his works. 
And that word there, render, some of your other versions that you might be using out there, I'm reading out the ESV this morning, that word render means just simply reward. So if we put that in there, he will reward to each one according to his works. And we don't know here yet. He's going to break it down, but we, we, I want you to understand that he's talking about those that are doing good works through faith, but then he's also talking about those that are doing works of evil. And how many know that any works outside of faith, they're exactly that. Even though they might be moral, again, morality does not get us to heaven. And so we see this, he will reward to each one according to his works. And I think it's important that we see it says each one. And the reason why I want to bring that out this morning is this, it's not based on the good works of your mom and dad. It's not based on the good works of your brother or sister. It's not based on the good works of your wife. But it's based on your works. This is an individual thing. It's personal. Again, that's one thing that we need to always grasp is that God has a personal relationship with us. One-on-one because of what Christ did on the cross. That was not always the way it was. At one time he had a relationship with the children of Israel as a big group of people. But it's incredible to think that we have a personal one-on-one relationship with God. And let me ask you this. Are, are we fully embracing that? What does that look at like? Because we're going to look at that also this morning. What does that one-on-one relationship look like? How many of you know that relationships are not just one-sided? Amen? Amen. One-sided relationships are just horrible. I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I often see those people are just acquaintances. And one-on-one, one-sided relationships is usually when that person needs something, they call you and that's the only time they contact you. Sometimes they take advantage of you. And how many know that God has called us to walk that out? To still shine and still be salt even in those different encounters, even though our flesh wants to be embittered, even though our flesh is saying, no, I don't want nothing to do with it. So we see this, he will reward each one of us according to our works. You know, that it made me think this week. You know, it says that uh, Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. And many, many of you have probably heard this. Uh, are we sending the right building supplies for that apartment? Are we sending things that are eternal? You know, and then I go back to the idea of what's eternal. There's only two things that are eternal on this earth. The word of God and people. So should not people be our business, our major business? Should not people be what we're investing in? Should not the word of God be what we're pouring into ourselves? I don't know about you, but upon judgment day, I want to hear good, well done, good and faithful servant. Now in verse 7 it says this, To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Now these things here in verse 7, they are good things. I want you to realize that, that they are good things. That God has 
these things uh, he wants us to be seeking after. And I want us to really cue in on that word patience in well-doing. Patience in well-doing. How many know that sometimes it gets weary in well-doing? Sometimes it seems like things are just hard in well-doing. Because, again, in well-doing a lot of times it's not getting anything back in return. But how many know that we're not supposed to be doing things to get things in return? And one verse that I've stood on, especially here at Momentum Christian Church over the last eight years, is a verse out of Galatians 6, and it's verses 9 through 10. And I believe it's a great word for each one of us. I believe this is a passage of Scripture. You should circle, you should highlight, you should memorize, hide in your heart. But Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those that are in the household of faith. Did you catch that? The Apostle Paul, he, he brings it out here that we're supposed to take the opportunity to do good to everyone, but especially those that are in the household of faith. And, and this was something when we started the church here that I was really impressing upon our body, how important it is to prefer one another in the household of faith, to lift one another up, to come alongside of each other, to truly love one another. How many know that that, that is a tough thing to do on our own? That we often cannot love right. We know that the world has perverted true love. All you have to do is go into a store Go into a bookstore, go into a library and pull books off the shelf that have to deal with love. And you'll realize that love has been perverted. What we need is the power of the Holy Spirit to live out that life and to live out that love that comes only from God. And we're supposed to especially show this to those that are on the household of faith. Now, this is where I believe it here at Momentum. I've seen something this last week that was just awesome. As a pastor here, I know most of you. I've met most of you. Uh, if we have not went out to dinner, we have to set that up and do that because I believe it's across from a dinner table or if you come to our house or vice versa, that where you truly get to know people. But I know this, this last week during VBS, Monday through Wednesday, I've seen people interact that probably had not interacted with one another before VBS. I've seen people work together. I've seen the joy of the Lord involved in their lives. And it's just not about VBS, but it's whenever the people of God come together and work together that happens. You know, as the kids were here last this last week, you know, it was more than just that one ball that they were bopping around in that room during that song. And I remember specifically hanging up these lights in here. I remember exactly how it happened, how the cable fastener worked. And, and I knew one thing as it was sitting back there was that none of the lights were going to come down as the kids hit them. 
It was the least of my worry. I figured those lights, they'll never come down. I, I believe as big as I am, I can hang on those lights. But what really came back to my mind was the relationship with the person that I hung those lights with. Each and every one of them. It was on scaffolding and I remember we had to be safe and, and, and the way that we had to do it was, it was more than just a one person job, but it was that relationship that was built into when we were hanging those lights. And it's amazing that that came back to me that day. What are you doing to build relationship in the household of faith? And how many know that the, the household of faith is much, much bigger than just this local church here, Momentum Christian Church? So I want you to think outside the box also. Are you preferring those that are in the household of faith? You now again, he says this, and to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. I, I think about that verse there, patience. How many of you need help in patience? I do. I've gotten better over time. Sometimes I find it uh, uh, so much easier than when I was 20 years old. I've learned some things, and God has shown me some things. I, I, I back to when we were a kid, there was a, anybody here ever listened to the Agape series? Okay, that's what I thought. It's a great series. I recommend it. And you know, vinyl's coming back. So if you can get this series, it's called the Agape series. But there was one song in there that was being sung by a snail. And it simply went like this. Be patient, be patient. Don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Yeah, I'm doing my snail voice this morning. You're saying, well, you're doing your snail voice that second song too, but, but the thing is, is this, is how many of you know that patience is something that we cannot come by unless it's through the fruit of the Spirit? It's something that has worked in each and every one of us. And one thing I want to convey is this, and I think it needs to be conveyed even more and more in this world that we're living in, is again, we have to rely on the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus Christ right now, the Bible tells me, is on the right hand of God interceding for us. And I am so grateful for that. In fact, you can kind of get an insight of what he's praying for you in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. I read that prayer often because I need to know what that prayer has to say. I need to know what Jesus is praying for me about. And God the Father is in His rightful place. And we know that they're all omnipresent, that they're the three in one, but they have distinct roles. And the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of each and every one of us to guide us, to lead us, to be able to allow the fruit of the Spirit to work in in us and and to be uh, with us in that sanctification process. If you don't have that, you will grow weary in doing good. For you that have been with us here at Momentum Christian Church for the last 10 years, and for you that have come and are a part here now, and we are so thankful for you, one thing that you're going to find as you continue to attend church here is this, is that it seems like there's ups and downs and there's 
downs and ups and, and hills and valleys. And so often I go back to Galatians 9, 6, 9 through 10. Dave, don't grow weary in well-doing. Continue to be faithful. Continue to be faithful to God's Word. Continue to be faithful to His people. And we know this, Paul's saying that there's some by patient in well-doing seek for glory and honor. And that word there, seek for glory, listen, I need to make sure that you understand what he's talking about there. It's not self-glory. It's not self-honor. But it's the glory of God. The most important thing. For a long time here at Momentum Christian Church, for almost every Sunday I was asking you, what, what is our purpose in life? Somebody answer. And do what? And enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I think about how big of a task that might seem at times. And the Apostle Paul makes it so clear in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says this, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And I love that verse because it causes me to realize one thing, that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. He's saying this, whatever you eat or drink, in those things that sustain life, even in those things, glorify God. So when you leave here today and you go eat lunch, thank God. Glorify God. Whatever that's on your plate. Thank God for it. Thank God that He made it. Thank God for His provision. Tell God that He's great. When we give God the glory that He's due, it gives us a heavenly perspective that we will not have otherwise. Because when we do not glorify God, but we glorify ourselves, what happens is this, is our eyes get off the eternal picture, off of the heavenly picture, and it's locked on self. It says this in Colossians 3.23. He says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Listen, this is one verse that I've lived my life by. And I mean this. In all the jobs that I ever had, I started work, full-time work, in 1987. Before I graduated high school, I landed a job that was full-time with benefits that paid well. And I had made a decision and I had made a commitment to God that I was going to work for Him. That I was going to work for Him. See, before that, I had worked for my dad. I had actually had a lawn business that was making pretty good money at that time throughout my teen years. Um, and and I, I didn't really, I think I worked for myself. Often I did, I think. But it was when I took that first job and I was at a men's breakfast where the preacher brought out this verse in Colossians 3.23, that made me say, from here on out, I'm working for God. And I can tell you this, it's made a difference. Every job I've ever had, when I've left, because God opened a door, they begged me to stay. 
Will you stay? Don't leave. Come on, please. We'll give you more money. We'll do whatever we can to keep you. They would always tell me, you're such a hard worker. You're so faithful. You're always here on time. You always stay late if, if we need you. And all I can say is, it was done unto the glory of God. That I worked for Him. And I think about this verse that we're looking at here, and I want you to apply. I want to apply there. It says, those who by patience and well-doing, seeking for the glory and honor and immortality, that He will give eternal life. The Bible talks about in Hebrews, about us being in a race. And it says that we should strive to win that race. Listen, I want you to start seeing your life as a race instead of just something that you have to do. How often and how easy it is to go to work and just say, man, I can't believe i got to be here. got to do this. If not, my family will starve. won't be able to pay the bills. I don't know. In our world today, I guess you cannot work and get benefited for it. But normally, that's how often as we get in a pattern, we can view things instead of going to work and saying, God, today I'm giving you my best. Today I'm going to glorify you in everything I do here because I believe everything is spiritual. And I can tell you this, it makes a world of difference. The guys that work for me, that I oversee, that God has given me the ability to oversee as a project manager, and the project that I have, listen, I have one guy that truly believes this verse. And you know what? He's such a blessing. He's willing to do whatever it takes to be able to see that whole system work. He's always got an encouraging word for me. He's always been there when I needed something or maybe it was some of his knowledge that I didn't have and I was able to say, hey, what, what do you think about this? Or uh, how do you think we can solve this? And, and he's always been one that's been willing to give and, and, and speak what, what's on his mind. It makes a difference. I think about this word honor and immortality. It, it, they kind of work together here. This is not what we think of as worldly honor, but this is an honor that comes only from God. That comes only from God. How many know that it's more important to be honored by God than man? I think about what it says in Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. We all long to hear this. I actually prayed it in a prayer during the praise time. It says this in verse 21. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. And the reason why these two fit together, because again, here we have one here in this verse where this master is honoring this 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 servant who's done good and has been faithful. But at the end of this verse, it says, but enter into the joy of your master. Now going back to the glory of God, uh, man's purpose is to glorify God and what? Enjoy Him forever, right? Enjoy Him forever. That, I often preach here, starts at your salvation. 
Because before salvation, the Bible says we are enemies with God. We are uh, at odds with Him. And I think about what it says here in Matthew 25, 21 at the end. Enter into the joy of your Master. This is where I was talking about earlier about this personal relationship, not being based on other people, not being based on ritual, not being based on tradition or law, things that we have to do or else, but a personal relationship. And I would ask you this morning, can you truly say that you enjoy your master? That you have joy in your King, in your Lord. I can tell you at one time, in my relationship with Him, I'd gotten away from that, and I actually seen God as someone that was out to get me. There was no joy. I was waiting for the gavel to come down constantly. But it was when I truly entered into a personal relationship to where there was joy in my master, to where I was able to feel like I was being honored. This word immortality here, it means to be incorruptible, unending, an unending existence. Now we know that the Bible tells us that these bodies are failing day by day. They're falling apart. Anyone older than 52 want to say amen? Amen. Bob, I'm not going to be mean here, but I'm going to use you. Bob is a very strong guy. I've worked side by side with Bob, whether it be cutting wood, doing other jobs. I've worked alongside of him. And and Bob is a hard guy to keep up. And I've known Bob for probably 11 years, 12 years now. And I noticed something, and I don't know if it was because of all the hot air in that suit today, but when Bob got up here, the second song, maybe nobody else did because I'm just this guy that's going to uplift him after service and tell him, hey, buddy, what's going on here? But he was he was having a hard time catching his breath. He's trying his best, and I'm thinking to myself, mm. in fact, if I remember right, Bob just turned 60, right? I'm sorry, Bob. I'm sorry. I should have preferred you and used myself. But we're all getting older. Our bodies are breaking down. And I don't know about you, but this idea of having immortality, that idea to be incorruptible and unending existence, sounds so good to me. Because our promise is this, that unending existence is going to be a place where there's no pain. It's going to be a place where you don't have no muscle aches. It's going to be a place where you don't run out of breath because the Bible says we're going to be singing glory, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah, over and over and over and over again. I've often thought, as I've been picking out the songs here, which I usually don't do, but I have been for the last year and a half, what if we were to just get up here for 20 minutes and just sing that over and over? 
In our own bodies, it would be exhausting, wouldn't it? Let's just be honest about it. But in heaven, it says that's what we're going to be doing. But I can guarantee you 20 minutes into it, you'd be like sitting down and be like, dude, I'm so done with this. This is tiring. This is getting old. It's because our bodies are corruptible. But one day they will not be. We'll be given a new body. We'll be given a life and an unending existence with our Lord Jesus Christ and our God and the Holy Spirit. The scary thing about this unending existence, or what it says in the verse there, is that existence for everyone is going to be one or two places. It's going to be in heaven with God. And I would encourage you, again, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him now. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. Heaven's a wonderful place, but how many know that heaven is not the prize? If you're doing this just to make heaven, you've got the wrong perspective. This life on earth is going to be miserable. I look forward to my personal relationship with God. I look forward to conversing with Him every day. I look forward to reading His Word that is living. I look forward to my quiet times. How many just enjoy your quiet time with God so much? And it's often not us speaking so much, but just sitting there and allowing His Word to bathe over you, allowing His promises to remind you who you are in Him. But for many that love darkness more than light, says that in John thirteen eighteen, their eternity is going to be in a real hell. Your loved ones that don't know Christ, unless they come to the knowledge of Him, will be in a real hell. It should move us. It should cause us to share the hope of Jesus Christ. And in verse 8 it says this, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, now one thing I want to point out right away here, how often do we look at this word that it says, but obey unrighteousness? How often do we think, because we've been given a list of things that Paul has talked about, but how many know that everything void of Christ is unrighteous? It can even be good, but without Christ being the center of it, it's not righteous. It cannot because what makes us righteous? Christ. And that blows my mind because I know the Dave that doesn't behave well at times. I know the Dave at times that is not patient. And it blows my mind that Christ, because of the sacrifice, has become my righteousness, that He's taken my place, and that God the Father sees me as righteous. It says, but for those that are self-seeking, it seems like in the day that we're living in, it seems like self-seeking is where most people are. By nature, we're all self-seeking. And the idea behind these two words, self-slash-seeking, it's the idea of like a soldier who is paid to fight, 
but doesn't worry about how anybody else is affected. Kind of like a mercenary. How many of you know that most of the wars that are fought around the world today are done by hired soldiers? They are mercenaries. They go into a place that they have no idea. The culture, the climate, they have no idea. They go in there. They don't know the people. Their only job is to go in there and to wipe people out or to fight for the cause that they're fighting for. And I would ask us this question. Are we self-seeking? Is it only about us? See, the thing is, is this. We are soldiers in a battle. And often that battle is unseen, the Bible tells us, but often we can see it. And are we self-seeking? Is it just about us? Or is it about others? Only you can answer that question. It says this in 2 Timothy 3, 1-3. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will be come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Sounds like the headlines of our papers. It sounds like when you turn on Channel 4 or Channel 7. Sounds like the day that we're living in. We must be different. Jesus said this to his church, to his disciples. By your love, they will know that you're different. By your love. Your love for one another. This is why it's important to me as the pastor of Momentum Christian Church that we are loving one another. It's important to me to see what was happening Monday through Wednesday at this church. It's so huge to me. Because I've seen people loving one another. I don't know about you, but how many of you came to VBS hungry? I did, because I just didn't have time. That first day between a new puppy and feeding squirrels and everything else my life entails, I didn't have time to get anything. But you know what? Somebody loved the people that were here enough to bring food in. And it was good food. Somebody took the time to say, I'm going to love other people today because as far as I know, they weren't told to do it. But they loved the other people that were here. You know, we have to fight every day to be not a people that are lovers of self. We have to make sure that we are not becoming people that are lovers of money. It's so hard to not be proud when you think that you've accomplished something. It's hard not to be arrogant when you think that you're right. Or even if you are right. It's so easy to be abusive. It's so, we have here disobedient to parents. And again, we talked about that. I don't know if it was last week, the other. You often see this tied in because if there's no obedience to parents, there's no obedience to nothing. 
or any structure. How many know it's so easy to be ungrateful? Unholy? Now again, Christ is our holiness. So if you're born again, praise God for that. How about heartless? Again, this last week, I, I've heard statements like, let's just make Afghanistan glass. How heartless is that? There is Afghanis that are still need to come to Jesus Christ. How about, is it easy to become not appeased or be able to be appeased? How about slanderous? And again, that idea, we looked at that uh, last week, the idea of slanderous is the idea of not only telling false things, but true things slanted. So it can be true, but we can put our own take on it. How easy it is to be like that, to not be in someone else's shoes and think that we know what's going on. How about self-control? How about brutal? How about not loving good? As Paul continues on in this verse in our text, it says, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. This disobedience here, this, this idea of not obeying is the same truth, the same Greek word. If you look it up, it's the same idea of those that were disobedient in Noah's day. It says this in Luke 17, 26 through 27. Just as it was written in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying, being given into marriage until the day then when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now I often say people, and I've heard this over the years since I've been pastor, oh my goodness, I think Jesus is coming back soon. And I'd say to people, listen, you need to understand, go back and see how evil things were in the day of Noah. They were horrible. In fact, if you read the Scripture right, there was a time where God actually hid Noah from all that. But we do know this, that Noah, and through God's mercy and His grace, did what? Allowed Noah, Noah, a man, a preacher, the Bible says, a preacher of righteousness to witness and preach the truth of God for 120 years. You talk about a God that is merciful, a God that is long-suffering. It's the whole idea of where we talked about the wrath of God last week. If you don't think that you're not going to face the wrath of God because you're under common grace, the Bible showed us last week in our text that wrath is storing up. And one day... It's going to fall. It's going to come upon you. But we see here, so they're, they're not obeying. It's this, this idea of, of the disobedient Noah's day to where people are given the truth and, and it's as if they don't obey it. But they obey, obey unrighteousness. Now, now, Christian brother and sister, I'm going to ask you something. Do you take the Word of God literal? If you do, 
then you know that Jesus has given us the list of commands. And he makes it clear, though, that you only keep these commands if you love me. He doesn't say, keep these commands and I'll love you more. But he says this, he's talking about this personal relationship. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I would ask you this, are you serious about the commands of Christ? If you're not, again, because works, it's not salvation. But if you're not, then you have to question yourself. If the love of God, the love of Christ doesn't drive you to live your life for him, therefore you must come to a place where you question yourself, where you say, am I truly in love with Jesus? Again, this is something I've been saying the first of the year here for so many years. For you that are new, and again, I, I, I have an idea of some of the churches you've come from, but every year they would give you a big visionary statement. This is what we're going to do. This is our plan. We've sat down. All our staff have gotten together. We've put our heads together. Listen, I've been involved in meetings with that that never even started with prayer. But we're going to give you this vision. And they take a verse that, that says, without vision, the people perish out of Proverbs. And they totally take that out of context because that's simply saying that, that vision is the Word of God. And without the Word of God, people perish. How many say Amen. But every year, this is my big vision to you. Every January 1st, and if you're here January 1st or the first Sunday in January, I'm going to tell you this. Fall more in love with Jesus. Surrender to Him. That's our vision. Because when you do that, and when that happens, what happens is you get engaged doing what He has called us to do out of love. Not out of obligation. Bob, I'm gonna I'm picking on you again, you and Linda. Well, both of you. I did not go to Bob and Linda and say, Hey, I figured it'd be a good idea to do a VBS with five weeks notice. Let's just do it. I think we really should do it. No, they came to me and said, Again, God, I really feel like God's putting this on our hearts. Let's do it. And and I know this about Bob and Linda is they love Jesus Christ. They have a personal relationship with Christ, which causes them to want to do and obey what God has called them to do. And again, I, I, I sat back and said, man, Bob really stepped out of the boat this week. Linda really stepped out of the boat this week. And I've seen God bless. I've seen God come through. But it says this, but they obey unrighteousness. Again, I want you to see that word unrighteousness is anything that's void of Christ. If we are not saved, what does the Bible say about us? That we are not righteous. I want you to think anything that's void of Christ, if Christ is not in the center of it, it's unrighteous. It's not holy. Again, I truly believe that, that again, everything is spiritual. Does it mean that those things that we're involved in 
is bad? Absolutely not. I remember our girls, both of our girls, played tennis through high school. Both of them were all area tennis players. We invested a lot of time. I took time off of work to make sure I was at their games. We made sure that they had the equipment that they they needed. Make sure that they got the practice. I remember going and running around tennis courts and me being out of breath playing against my girls. It was a good thing because we were able to bring Christ into it. We were able to share Christ with their friends or people that were on the tennis team with them. It was not a bad thing. Fishing is not a bad thing. Quilting is not a bad thing. There's a ton of things that can take our time, but if Christ is the center of it, and we understand that it's actually glorifying Him, it's a powerful thing. We need to really reevaluate and say, God, is our family vacation time, are you center? I can't tell you over the years how many times I've been able to share the things of God going on vacation. Because we usually like to go see His creation, His beauty. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, I think one of the best vacations you can probably take your kids on right now is go down and see the ark. You can put God front and center, and Ken Ham has done such a great job down there where God is front and center, and, and it's such a teachable moment. But let me say this, everything's a teachable moment for ourselves and for our kids and for those that are around us. In verse 9 it says this, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jews first and also the Greek. So we see here this idea of tribulation. It means great pressure, anguish, persecution is the Greek word there. It says for every human being who does evil the Jew first, and also the Greek. Now, I want you to catch this because Paul has given us a hint here who he's talking to here. And again, understanding he was talking in the beginning of this chapter to those that were religious, who were moral, and he lists the Jews there, the Judaizers especially, those that think they have it all together. He says this, this includes you. Not only just the Greeks, but you. You need to look inside. You need to say, what is going on? This is something that you're going to face. And the Jewish people, they would have taken this very serious because, again, of their rituals of the afterlife. This would have been a strong statement coming from Paul. How many know that there's going to be times that we face tribulation? I'm not talking about the great taking away of the tribulation that happens after that. But I'm talking about even through our lives. Anybody here ever been under great pressure? I have been. Time limits. Things that just don't seem like they go right. How about anguish? Or I said deep 
down, cry. Listen, each one of us, each one of us Christians should be anguished right now for the condition of our world, the condition of things that are going on in our country, the things that are happening in the church. Listen, folks, there is a great divide going on in the church, whether you know it or not. Some of you might just be completely clueless to that. But there is a great divide going on. God is God a remnant, a church that's faithful to Him. But there's a great divide right now that's taking place. see this term here, persecution. I can honestly tell you, I don't think I've faced persecution yet. But I think about pastors in Australia. I think about pastors that we've seen in Canada. I see some of these churches now are winning the lawsuits that were brought against them. Anybody else see that? Just incredible. And I love what he says here. He says this, Jews first and also the Greeks. Again, it's this idea of being able to get the attention of the Jewish people that are going to read this letter. Because remember, the Jews looked at themselves as being first in God's eyes. They often believed that the Gentiles were completely out of his reach. How many glad that we're not? I am. This is in verse 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. So Paul's saying this, listen, there's a way out, and it's Jesus Christ. His understanding what the glory and the honor word there means, because we un, un, uh, un dug that up in the verses previous, the idea of glory, but for those that give glory to God and, and there's honor from God to them, there will be a peace for every one of them. And he's telling the Jews, listen, you don't have to stick to those laws, those traditions. Just glorify God and God will honor. You know, there's a phrase that has stuck in my head over the years and it's simply a phrase of this and I often use it for people even in this Congregation, I'll tell you this, God honors those that honor Him. God honors those that honor Him. How many know that that's true? That you've seen that play out in your own life? Where you've taken a stand and you said, God, I'm going to take a stand in this. I'm going to honor you in this. And God comes through strong. You feel peace. You feel God's favor upon you. It's because God's honor. And he, Paul tells them this is not without, or it's not outside the grasp of anyone. It's there for everyone. It's there for everyone. This morning, why don't you stand with me as we close? There are several things in this text this morning that maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you about. Maybe you feel, and again, whether you're saved or not saved, the Holy Spirit does come alongside of all men, Scripture says, to 
convict them of their sin and their self-righteousness. But I want you to ask yourself, because this is what God was really putting on my heart. The most important thing here is this, is your personal relationship with Him. Do you make time for it? Do you converse with God? And if you do, what you'll find yourself doing is this. You'll find yourself not being so self-centered, but loving your neighbor, loving those that are in the household of faith more and more, preferring them above yourself. Do we base things on my parents have always went to church. That's why I'm at church. Listen, it's that's not good enough. And I'm not just saying because I'm saying it, but because the Bible tells me it's not good enough. It's so important to take those steps. You know, and, and I think about baptism coming up next month. I always enjoy baptism so much because what people are doing is they're standing up and saying, He is mine and I am Yes. They're taking a step of obedience of letting everybody know I'm following Jesus. But so often in the fray and in the mess of this world, we allow things to get our attention. We allow things to come between us and our God. It becomes a relationship that's really one-sided. To where God's not being glorified at all. And we get to the point that we don't know if we're good enough for Him. You know, isn't, isn't it just an awesome feeling to know that God honors you? I'm assured in my Father's love. But I know this, that I can't live without Him. I know that I cannot allow sin to separate me and Him and our relationship. I know that it's a process and I know that I can't do it by myself. But I can only do it by the one that quickens my mortal body, the same one that rose Jesus from the grave. The Holy Spirit. Think how powerful that is. The one that raised Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. We should feel invincible. There should be nothing that crosses our path that should catch us off guard or bounce us back or cause us or causes us to, to be disillusioned. You know, in, in boxing there's a term that's it's, it's called being hit. And you say, well, pastor, in boxing, people, they always get hit. I remember when we were younger, we, I, was, I, was, I boxed for a little bit, and my brother was in a group where we boxed a little bit. And, and I remember what it was like to be hit. When you got hit, you were stunned. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It seemed like the room was spinning a little bit. I mean, you get hit the whole boxing match. But when you got hit just seemed like everything was disillusioned. 
maybe today, maybe that, that's where you're at. Maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe you've been hit. Maybe you're disillusioned. Maybe you're just numb to everything that's going on. Listen, in this time that we're living in, God's intention is not for us to be numb. But it's to be alive. Listen, this is exciting times. It's exciting time. There's people that are searching. But is there anyone out there telling or sharing? We have a mission. But we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to judge the things that we are to judge. And we need not to read into stories that we don't know nothing about. Talking about people's lives. So Father, I come before you today. Again, I thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that it's alive and it's breathing. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you just cause us, Lord, to understand again and come to the full place that you long for relationship with us. An ongoing, living relationship to where, Lord, we can talk and walk with you at any moment. We can converse in our car and, and, and as we're walking down the street and as we navigate through life. And God calls us, Lord, to understand that that's where you've placed us and that's where you've caused us, Lord, to thrive the most is in your presence. Lord, you put fish in water because that's where they thrive. Lord, you put polar bears in a cool climate because that's where they thrive. And Lord, when you created the garden, you put Adam and Eve in there and it was perfect. Your presence was there and that's where they thrived. But because of sin, that was taken away. But it's been turned upside down again because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. He has allowed, Lord, no need for a priest. He has torn the veil that we might enter the Holy of Holies and have relationship one-on-one with You and cause us, Lord, not to take that for granted. Cause us, Lord, to realize that our faith is not based on works, but our faith produces works. Father, I just ask, Lord, You just continue the work that You started in each and one of us. Cause us, Lord, to surrender today. Cause us, Lord, today to fall more in love with You And cause that love to grow day by day. So Father, we just thank you today. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you just continue to work that you started in each and every one of them. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you keep them safe until we return here next Sunday. And God, I just thank you for everything that you're doing. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.